0: You know that cliché that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? It's especially true here in the Philippines, where food is central to gatherings and Kumain ka or Have you eaten? is a common greeting. When the pandemic struck, the simple act of breaking bread in the presence of friends and family was taken away from us. In this B-side episode, John Paolo C. Delupang, a research associate at the Institute of Philippine Culture and lecturer at the Ateneo de Manila University, tells Business World reporter Jasperl Emerald-Gitan about the social role of food. Mr. DeLupang, who has done research on feeding programs, public health, and disaster resilience, shares what he's learned about what we lost when we were deprived of social gatherings and how our relationship to food has changed because of the pandemic.
1: So food for us isn't just something that we eat so that we're not hungry, right? So in our culture, it's also used for bonding with our favorite people, tapos. Um Food is central to our gatherings, like in something as small as family meals to our huge celebrations like fiestas and Christmas. So with this, how do you think food brings families and friends together?
2: All right. When you look at food, kasi, you now when you look at food, uh, in terms of people's relationship to food and food's relationship to society, it it has a particular function. You no, know? one of the key functions. So if you're going to ask me from a social science point of view, is that food practices enable enables people uh, enable people to create uh, uh, and maintain cultural. Racial and ethnic identities. No? So, for example, um, people can bring uh, food can bring people together to give them the identity of being Tagalog, or vi- being Visayan, no, or being Ilocano, based on the kind of food that they are preparing and how they prepare that food. No? And then for for fam- for smaller units like your families and friends, it brings you together because you attach food with certain memories, right? So, if you if you had a positive experience, for example, during the birthday of your mom, and merong specific na handa, you have a specific viand or food that was served there, so every time that you eat that food, you can remember some of those memories. And maybe some of the other people who shared that memory will also remember them, which can bring you together. Yeah.
1: Okay, so... What do you think food symbolizes in our culture?
2: Um, in, in, uh, in our culture, no, in terms of symbolizing, uh, it de- really depends on the meanings that people attach. No? The thing is, when you cook, because it's not just about the food. It's not just about the food that we need to look at. Even the preparation, the cooking, and even the way that we serve it. no. It 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 tells you something about the culture of the people who are sharing that food, so it allows us to preserve uh, cultural traditions, cultural practices. So if you attach certain let's say cultural meanings to food, for example, um in in not 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 for Filipinos now, or maybe for Filipinos, now, there are Filipino uh, regions like the Tagalogs. They would create or they would make bico, no yung sticky rice with uh, with gata they would do it du- during holy week no? so it has a certain meaning to them or for example for the noche buena people would often want to have some sort of a hamon or queso de bola no in the uh, in the on the dining table so in a way it depends really on how people uh, what meanings people attach to the food but at the end of the day, having certain kinds of food help people preserve you no know, preserve culture and traditions in the
1: family. What kind of role do you think does food play in the way that a person is brought
0: up?
2: In terms of uh food and growing up, no, uh, it is actually part of a person's socialization process. No, we have this thing in in sociology and psychology wherein as we grow older we are trained by our family, by our peers, by the school, no, on how to become integrated in the society where we live in. And part of that training process is teaching us uh, something about food. No? What kind of food is acceptable to eat? What kind of food is uh is nutritious? No? What kind of food is to be eaten uh, during specific occasions? For example, uh, I think it's it's common for Filipinos to always have pansit during birthdays because there's that meaning attached to having a long life by having long noodles. No? There's even this belief uh, for some that if you're going to cook pansit for someone's birthday or spaghetti, you should not break up the noodles before you cook them. So those kinds of preferences, those kinds of uh, traditions or practices are being taught to us as we are growing up. That's why sometimes it would be difficult to think, no, it's someone's birthday, for sure someone will say something along the lines of, nasa ng pansit? Where's the pansit? Where are the noodles? Where are my birthday noodles? In the same way, uh, during birthdays, where's the cake that has a candle on it that I can blow on to make a wish? So, in a way, food... uh, is part of the socialization process. But more than, special occasions, let me just highlight this. It's also important to remember that food is a reflection of the particular context that you are in growing up. So, for example, food preferences, Um, food preferences would often be dictated by the preferences of the parents. And sometimes, the preferences of the parents will be dictated by what the family can afford. Right? So, diba? so, for example, if you are from a lower or lower middle class family, there are certain staples that you will eat and you're used to eating that. But if you are coming from a higher social status, maybe things like steaks now, or more meat-based food would be common or imported food would be common for you. So as you grow up, you develop the same preferences you develop the same choices when it comes to food.
1: Why do you think that um, gatherings that are focused on eating together are important?
2: For one, it is important in keeping relationships. You know, particularly maintaining cultural practices. So the notion of continuing the tradition of my Lola's recipe of minudo. No? So there's yeah, right. that. So, and, and you need gatherings wherein you can serve that. So by by having those gatherings that can be a venue to serve certain kinds of food, you preserve those traditions. Second, uh, it is uh, it, it is important to have those gatherings focus on food, on eating together. In particular, I think it's a good point to to uh, to highlight. It's not really about the food, but being able to eat together, because. Eating is a common experience for everyone. You don't have to speak the same language, right? You don't have to come from the same culture, but all of the people, all of people eat. It's part of our innate need to survive, no? So it becomes an initial commonality on which people can build relationships, right? So, kung hindi mo man, let's say you don't really know the person, you don't really know what their interests are you could begin with something like, so how do you find the food? Is that something that you eat usually? So it's a conversation starter. Exactly. It's a conversation starter and it allows you to get to know the person without trying to be too invasive, without even asking things like, imagine this, no? uh, for example, you ask the person, you're eating pinakbet. You ask the person, so do you eat pinakbet reg- regularly? And the person might say, uh yes I do, but we don't use calabasa, we don't use squash, we use kamote. And that gives you an idea which part of the Philippines eats pinakbet with kamote more than calabasa. It's usually the northerners, no? Ilocos, pangasinan, no. So to some extent it gives you an idea where the heritage of the person is from. So without directly asking them where is your family from, you get clues. Uh,
1: yeah. Oh wow, that's nice to learn. Um. Okay. So we have these relatives like our lolos and lolas or our parents. Sometimes even our titas who, s- instead of saying sorry verbally, they would buy you either buy you your favorite food or they will just give you your favorite meal. So, I'd like to know why do you think food is sometimes used in reconciling with people instead of some- instead of actually apologizing? You know, like what kind of message can food convey that words cannot?
2: Right. Now, to answer that question, I think we have to begin by saying that that is very contextual, right? So there are Filipino families, and I'm sure people might have similar experiences. Filipino fa- some Filipino families are more expressive of their affection, right? Parang you, you, you kiss each other, you hug each other openly. When someone gets mad, you come to that person and then you console them and you try to patch things up Kobaga in Filipino inaamu muna, No right but there are families that are very distant no I don't have to tell you that I love you verbally, but I can show it to you. It can be that in a particular context uh, for a particular family, actions speak louder than words no, as they say so in a way, by giving you your favorite food, is like saying, okay, I recognize that I may have hurt you, and, and, and just to make amends, I'm going to give you your favorite food. But for me, personally, the question remains, is giving the food actually an expression of an apology? Or is it still important for the person to admit that he or she is wrong? I think, in general, um... When we give food to others, there is this notion of concerning. You're trying to tell the person, have you not eaten or Baka you want to eat? Right? And that's common among Filipino households. And it might just be an expression, an expression of being gracioso, being generous, or as foreigners would say, being hospitable. Right? That's the notion of giving food That's that, that can could, that could, that could, that could be conveyed without words. But for specific situations like asking for forgiveness or di ba, giving food could be part of a person's courtship. <laughs> they, they would treat you to food. No? So I guess it depends on the family. But it's true, there are messages that food can convey that you don't have to say in words. It will just depend on how the family sees it.
1: This time, how does uh, food help form bonds in the workplace?
2: Okay, in the workplace. Uh, again, it's not about the food. That's, that's my main assertion. Eh. It's not really about the food. It's the process of consuming, preparing, and sharing the food. right? So it's the experiences that surround the food that really help form the bonds. Because as we've mentioned earlier, it gives you something in common to talk about right it it helps introduce you to other people based on your food preferences it gives people an idea of your um instead of just preferences maybe your skills right so for example you come into you come into work you bring cupcakes and then when they ask you who made this it's me so it gives them an idea oh you're a baker you you like baking or you like cooking so it it does open you up uh, to others uh, for them to get to know you better and for you to also get to know them. So you know that, oh, this person has a sweet tooth. Or this person he likes fried food. Uh, so it just gives you that uh, ability to learn more about others. And it it's just that the whole process of f- f- consuming food becomes an anchor on which you can build relationships with people.
0: Right yeah so
2: that's also the same in the class right right in the class in the classroom is the same, but in the classroom uh I think uh, this is not uh, i this is a personal opinion on my end no in the classroom uh i think especially with younger children no? when you're being socialized on uh, how to share food no yeah. when when you begin to understand what sharing is about and when you realize that oh i want to taste their food and then they also want to taste my baon then that creates a relationship right that creates a relationship is a place to start to make friends
1: all right so now when the pandemic started we had all these lockdowns and restrictions in place and we were prevented from you know all these from going to gatherings going to the office physically or attending classes and even seeing our loved ones in the malls so with that um what do you think we have we lost socially as in how has the pandemic hindered our social development and also how can we regain it now that the covid situation seems to be getting better
2: okay when you when you talk about what we have lost now for a culture for a society like the filipinos who values gatherings? No, just talk about fiestas. No, we find special events. I mean, before the pandemic, it's the child's birthday, and the child is like what two or three years old, and sometimes the child doesn't even know the people that their parents invite, but the but the child's birthday becomes a reason for the parents and their friends to to come together, right? So we find reasons to gather. No, and to break bread, no, to sh- to share food. With the pandemic, of course, uh, with our need to socially distance, or we would rather use the term physically distance, or to stay indoors, no, we lost that opportunity. But being resourceful, of course, we have adapted, no, doing Zoom parties. No, I remember for our offices, no, it's not unusual that when you have, uh, let's say, an anniversary gathering, you all sit on Zoom, you all eat together, and the food is actually delivered individually to your homes. You know? It's like having having a big banquet, and then you split it up to all the people who will eat, and then you just eat it at home. right? So, <clears throat> in a way, we lost that ability to gather physically and to share food, but we have made adaptations. The only thing is... It's still a different feel, and a lot of people would say it's still different when you can sit with each other and actually converse. Especially with Zoom, if you begin to talk to another person, no, you're the only people who can talk. The other people in the meeting cannot talk to each other. Unlike when you're physically together, conversations can happen simultaneously. So so there's that part that we lost. No? Now after uh Siguro, we could say that the surges have gone down, it's safer to go out, people are allowed to eat in restaurants again, uh families can go to restaurants, we can eat together. Um we can regain those. No, we can regain those uh experiences that we lost because of the pandemic. But we have to innovate because you have to do your gatherings again following safety protocols, right? Because these protocols will remain, at least for the Philippines, these will remain. And according to the scientists, eating is a high-risk activity for transmission because we uncover our mouths and our nose in order to eat. And if you eat, I mean, even if you eat now, outside you still have those plastic barriers so even if you can eat together with a friend you still feel that you're separated by those barriers in places where you don't have barriers to some extent you still maintain some distance right because you have to maintain it according to the 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 rules no? and restaurants they cannot fill up all their tables Right, they still have to make space—fifty percent capacity, seventy percent capacity. So I guess we can go back. No, I think we can regain those experiences of chatting while eating. But uh, and maybe you know, I, I, this this practice, I don't know, this practice vanished. No, it 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 went away. You know, sometimes when you're at a party and then you realize you got food that you don't like and then you feel bad throwing it away, so you ask your, your friend, do you like it? You can take it from my plate. Before, no, Filipinos would say, oh, laway con no. Before, it wasn't a big deal. But now you can't do that because there's a possibility for you to transfer sickness. right? So those kinds of things you cannot do anymore. Um, and even if things change, I think, even for buffets... Uh, the experience of getting the food would still be different because I don't think they'll open the buffets that, such that everyone can get the food as they as they want it. no are servers. Someone will serve the food because you're also trying to protect the food from contamination. So we can regain the experiences. It's just that we have to be innovative. We have to think of ways to still have the experience but observe the health protocols.
1: Right, You can never be too careful. so and and also, how do you think the pandemic has affected the way that people consumed food?
2: In, in this question, I had to I had to sit down and just think about it when you gave me this. Um, I think it changed the way that we relate with food, no? in terms of you're, you're asking about consumption eh? so it, it consumption, can be seen as a relationship, as an individual relationship to food. So how do you prepare? How do you consume? It's a relationship that we build. For one, um, particularly during the height of the pandemic, people were not eating out. One, you cannot go out. Two, the places that you'd like to go to are closed. So people ate outside less. Some of them adapted by cooking more at home. Okay, and this translated to cost. So a lot of friends, a lot of my friends, at least this is not, I haven't done a formal survey, no, but at least for those that I know, um, they report that their expenses expenses in food have gone down. Because one, yeah, one, because they don't eat out. They don't pay restaurant prices for their food. Second, when they go into the grocery stores, they are very particular with the time they spend inside, so they have a list, right? But even if, I, I guess your own experience, even my experience, when I go to the grocery store, I don't linger, unlike before the pandemic. You know, you maybe it's a bad habit though. You don't have a list, but sometimes people would linger and think about, oh, you know what? I can prepare this later. You know, maybe next month I'd like to bake a cake. I'm going to buy these things people tend to be more particular with their lists, according to at least those that I know. And with the advent of grocery delivery, like uh, Metromart or Picaroo, you know, those delivery places, you cannot linger and just continue adding to your order. Eh? You have to resolve. This is my order. I give it to the rider, and this is the only thing that's going to come, come in. So in a way you control the amount that you spend because you know that you can't put so much food in your fridge or in your freezer. So people tend to spend less. No? However, those who relied more on food delivery services like Grab, Food Panda, uh, their expenses are also still relatively lower than when they ate out, but it's higher than for people who cook food at their home. I think that's interesting. Second, some people also developed a new relationship with food because since they can't eat out, people began looking into how to cook the food that they like in the restaurant. So they go into YouTube, right? You learn how to cook. You follow recipes. So the people began to create a relationship wherein you don't just get the food and eat it. You become involved in the preparation, uh, maybe even in the buying of the ingredients, the preparation, the cooking process. So you, you become familiar and you realize wow, this is it's so many steps to make fried chicken or it's not easy to make something like this. You have to go through the steps. So you you get an appreciation. So you develop that relationship and maybe some people would report now they value their food now because they realize how much work goes into it. And some also develop, they would say, healthier relationships, wherein people, since they're just at home, no, you don't have to deal with traffic because you're working from home, so you have more time to prepare your food. And for those who want more healthful options, no, healthful, or healthier options, as some people would, would put it, then they can explore that kind of diet. If they want more vegetables more plant based they can do it now because they don't have the travel time from the office to the house. they can prepare the food. so I know a lot of people who have changed their diets and they have lost weight, no they have become more plant based they use less oil, they don't eat fried anymore so one of their a friend of mine actually mentioned uh When things opened up and he was invited by friends to go eat at a restaurant, he didn't like the food as much as he liked it before the pandemic. Because he said, I realized it's very greasy, it's very salty. Because in his house, he cut back on fried foods, on fatty food. And he became used to that while he was in quarantine while he was stuck at home. So, you know, I think people really change the way they relate, or we relate to food, no? Whether it's about how much we consume, uh, being more involved in the preparation process, in the cooking process, and even making better choices, if you'd like to put it that way, better is relative kasi. Better choices for your health. So, less sugar, less carbs, no? Others, unfortunately, because they're bored, they tended, they also went the other way in terms of eating more, eating more junk food. So, yun. Yun naman yung kabaliktaran ng iba. But at least we can say it changed how people relate with food.
1: Okay. Well, that's, in, that's interesting. To know. So, others either right. go become more health conscious and others, um, like, Throw it out of the window all altogether, and people spend yeah. it to spend less, right? you were saying that. Yes. Okay. Um. Okay, so this time, um, so you know, I've always been wondering about this. You know that trend mukbang, right? So it's yes, when where some people take um, uh, take a video of themselves eating. Huge or unhealthy amounts, even of of food, <laughs> and like it always puzzles me, you know. Because as a person who also loves food, like I would rather be the one eating the food instead of watching someone do it for me, right? So, um, what kind of connection do you think they feel towards a food vlogger?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Let's I'll, I'll make a, a disclaimer. I don't really like watching mukbang, primarily right. because it looks like people are eating more than they should. But who am I to judge? I eat, I overeat sometimes too, right? So, uh, but, but as you said, a lot of people, uh, relatively a good number of people, like watching them. No? Maybe this is an age thing because, of course, I'm older and mukbang is something that's more recent. But uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I did a little bit of research here how many people actually watch mukbang videos? No? In China, there's a mukbang, uh, mukbanger as they call them, name, no, named uh, Miz, uh, Mizi Jun. Uh, the person has 6.4 million subscribers. Okay? In, in, in Weibo, which is their version of YouTube. As of August 2018, this person does mukbang. Mami Tang is a mukbanger in, on YouTube. 500,000 subscribers. Stephanie Su, is another mukbanger, has nearly 2 million, which means tons of people see them with mouthful of foods every night. So you cannot discount the fact that people watch. Okay? For me, when I watch it, I am more drawn to it because of the new cuisine that I have never seen. Right? Some people reason out that oh, I didn't know that there was such a thing. Maybe the next time I, I eat Korean food or eat Chinese food, I'm going to look into that. That sounds tasty, right? For some, according to some researches that, uh, that have been published, no, people, particularly those who eat alone, who live alone, having the mukbanger it is creating a feeling that you're eating with someone. Right. for some that's that's what it is no it's it's the feeling of having someone to eat with, especially for mukbangers who do live streams because they talk to the audience so in a way, it's like a simulation of you eating with someone having a conversation right right for some now there are. Researchers uh, like uh, this guy, his name is Michael Hurt. He is a cultural studies professor in Busan University of Foreign Studies. I I saw his uh, article. And what he was saying is, um, mukbang has some sort of a grim background to it, a grim story. He has a theory uh, on why mukbang is becoming popular. And it has to do with the fact that even before the pandemic, we have been decreasing our face-to-face interaction with people because we interact through video calls, uh, chats, or phone calls. So in in Korea, where mukbangs, I think, started, correct me if I'm wrong, that's where it popularized Korea, in South Korea, it's gotten to a point where social interaction sometimes do not happen at all for people. So this is where Mukbang become a uh, fills in that void. No? When you cannot interact with people for whatever reason, such that you cannot share a meal with them, that's their way of coping. No? And essentially, it, it, is a, it can be an indicator of how much less physical interaction have people have. Because if a lot more people are watching mukbang, and let's assume, no, we're making an assumption here, that they like watching mukbang because it gives them the sense of eating with someone, then we can we can hypothesize or we can infer that a lot of people are eating alone and having mukbangers, their um, companions. No? I'm not judging people, but I think it, it shows us that there's a shift, there's a change in the eating behavior. Instead of eating together, you eat alone. Yun. So that's my right. take on mukbang, which for me, you know, reading up on this, I find it really interesting because I never thought of mukbang as something that might fill in the void for someone who doesn't have another person to eat with.
1: Also, during the pandemic, you also mentioned this, that people tended to also buy ready-to-cook meals or cooking kits. So, how do you think cooking or making food together um, connects people?
2: Okay, this is assuming that you're not alone, right, in the house. You have someone to cook with. Although I have had an experience of baking with someone through video call. So it's the two of us, a friend of mine, we would we would make bread and we would do it together. We'll show each other what we're doing. So it's our, it's our way of trying to adapt. But there's something about, again, it's not just the food. It's Siguro we can use the term um, ritual. The ritual of preparing food, of consuming food, cooking food. All right? If you have another person helping you prepare the food, one, it allows you to have a conversation and interaction with that person. And having that interaction, of course, allows exchange of ideas, exchange of, uh, of uh, 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 comments, No, you, you exchange of opinions. So it allows for communication between the two people. But more than that, if let's say the food, in, 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 my idea is, if the person preparing the food with you is a family member, and let's say that the recipe that you're preparing is an heirloom recipe somewhere from your lola, from your lolo, hindi lang naman yung pagliluto; It's not just the cooking process that you talk about you would talk about memories attached to the food or the process that uh, that you're doing. So, for example, someone might say, "Oh remember Lola used to used to correct me because I sliced the carrots wrong. Oh you remember when when you burnt this because you know you left the stove too high and you went out and you forgot. So all the memories that are attached to not just the food but the preparation is often evoked. And when you have another person there who shares the same memory, that tightens the bond because that's a commonality between the two of you. It's a shared experience and that tightens your relationship further. So I think it's really... Kasi some people might say... uh, Who was it? I'm trying to remember who told me this, but sabi niya it's different when you have your kasambahay to cook your food, let's say, you ask your kasambahay to cook, oh, could you cook me menudo, could you cook me, you know, whatever, kare-kare, something complicated. And then, you serve it for dinner. It has a different feel than if you and your mom or you and your dad or the whole family chopped up the vegetables, put them together. A friend of mine told me that it's, it's a different feel. Because then again, the involvement is much different, right? And it, when you ask someone else to cook it for you, para ka lang nagpa-cater, it's like ordering from the outside, heating it and eating it, so it's a different experience. So really, cooking and making the food creates more connections for people.
1: You also mentioned earlier that um, the question "Kumain ka na ba?" or "Have you eaten?" can be used in place in place of a greeting. Um, I heard that also sometimes in South Korea they also do that. So, mm-hmm. what kind of feeling does the question "Kumain ka na ba? or "Have you eaten?" give off? Like, what does that say about us Filipinos? And also, how does it make you? Sorry, how does it make you like, feel go hey, go personally?
2: Go hey. Uh I think it's very important to note that you're asking this in the context of being Filipinos, no? because in uh, in other countries. Uh, I have the, I've had the opportunity to live in other countries. They have this version, of no? parang when you come into their house. Oh, could I get you some tea? Could I get you some coffee? But that's how they ask them. Could I get you something? For Filipinos, it's the question is Have you eaten? So that's different. So that that gives you a, a different feel. No? So uh, for me personally, uh, when I look at this behavior of people asking you whether you've eaten. It might evoke some feeling of, oh this person is concerned. You know, maybe because I traveled, I, I I it took me a while to get to their house. So maybe they are concerned that I'm hungry, right? Or I haven't eaten. But to some and sometimes I feel this way too, uh, it could just be an expression of being polite. Right? right? It's like that behavior or that uh that uh, expression that we have when you're eating and someone uh, parang passes by and you ask them, kain tayo? Or you, uh, you say, kain tayo? Well, but you don't really expect that person to eat with you, especially if it means that they would share your food. right? We do it out of politeness. So I guess it depends on the relationship that you have with the person. Because I would think that if you have a tita, or a tito who asks you, have you eaten? You might feel more comfortable to say, no, what do you have? Or, I haven't eaten, let's look at your fridge, right? Depending on the kind of relationship you have with that person, this expression of have you eaten or kumain ka na would give you a different feeling. For me personally, I think it's being polite. Uh, Some people that I'm close to, I, I would think that because they're concerned, but in general, it depends really on the relationship that you have with the person and that would determine how you feel.
1: Why do you think that food can sometimes make people feel nostalgic?
2: I think it's because of the memories tied. You know, tied to the food, tied to the preparation, you know, evoking which evokes a tradition, a family tradition or a cultural practice of the community. So, for example... Uh, when you look at fiestas, right? It's not just about you preparing food for your family. In rural areas, it's a, it's a whole barangay operation. No? Each house, like when I was growing up, when we went to Mindanao and it's a fiesta, every house has their own handa, right? Minsan nga every house has their own version of. Uh, menudo have their own version of mechado. So it it in those cases no the process itself of preparing is a shared, it's a communal experience. And so when you cook food like that, yung memories ng communal experience is attached to the food. Now on a more individual basis like what we mentioned no, earlier uh, there's a certain personal memory that you attach with the food. For example, who used to cook this a lot? Now, Who cooked this for me? Uh, or when I was growing up, uh, this particular, uh, my lola, my aunt would make this for me. And I would remember that it's, it tastes so different. So it's really having the food, the preparation process, and the cooking process being tied to a memory. That's why people feel nostalgic. It's like having, you know, a particular item. You know, like your Lola gave you a piece of jewelry. You know, they gave you a music box, you know, a family heirloom. There are memories tied to that. And in the same token, food has memories tied to them.
1: Alright, so and for you, what is your favorite memory that involves food?
2: Mm. For me it's it's my experience of cooking or at least watching my grandmother cook uh, because of how at least for me right for in my in my perception her cooking is very in Tagalog mapamahiin no she has these beliefs uh for example when she would cook boiled or uh beef soup no nilagang baka with Chai and patatas. Um, we, did, we We had, I think we had a pressure cooker to help tenderize the meat. This was the 80s or the 90s. But if she was not using the pressure cooker, she had a big pot. She would put literally a metal um, tinidor, a metal fork with the beef. Pinakukuloan niya with the beef. Because she believes that the metal fork will help tenderize the beef. I don't know what's the basis for that. No? Um, when she cooked pinakbet, no, she would cook it uh, first. yung meat, yung, uh, yung aromatics, mo, the yung, yung garlic, yung onion, and luya, and also the, the ginger and the tomatoes. You put it first at the bottom, and then she would layer the vegetables. So you start with the kalabasa or the kamote followed by the talong, the sitaw, the ampalaya on top. And she would not mix it with a sandok. The way she does it is she lifts the whole pot and then she shakes it. That's how she mixes it. Because she believes that if you mix it with a sandok or a spoon, the ampalaya will become bitter. I don't know what's the reason for that. But that's her tradition. Uh, And let's say if you're making paxio. No, you put vinegar for Paxiu, you're not supposed, or, or even adobo, anything that you cook with the vinegar, you can't mix it. You shouldn't mix it once the vinegar is in. You put the vinegar, you put the cover on, and you let the vinegar cook so that when you eat it, she said, the vinegar will not taste raw or very maasim. And for me, uh, for someone like me who likes to cook, I I, I sometimes find myself following those pamahiin without actually trying to understand why they work or they don't work or why they practice it. So, yeah, it's really looking at those tiny details that I only get from my grandmother. Now, if I ask friends, their families don't do it. So that's my favorite memory, you know, trying to understand those little practices that she would have when she would cook our food.
1: Yeah.
2: right you can ask your parents if there are things that you do that they do
1: i guess that's about it thank you for for this thought. um thank you john um it was great chatting with you Salamat. thank you
0: And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard John Paolo C. De Lupang, a research associate at the Institute of Philippine Culture and lecturer at the Ateneo de Manila University, speaking with Business World reporter Jasperl Emerald gitan about the connections we make through the food we eat. Remember how the world spent quarantine making dalgona coffee, sardo bread, ube cheese pandesal, and sushi bake? It was a virtual feast that we participated in through social media. Because, as Mr. DeLupang said, food is something on which people can build relationships. This episode was recorded remotely on February 16, 2022. It was produced by Gino Di Nicolás and me, Sam El Marcelo. Thanks for listening.